Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss Training Day. Released in 2001, directed by Antoine Fuqua, written by David Ayer. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I'm Anthony. And this is James, and we're discussing Training Day, which is one of my favorite crime films of all time. It's one of Denzel Washington's best performances in his career. He won an Oscar for this. Antoine Fuqua is a fantastic director. Director. I think this is probably his best movie, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, Antoine's made a ton of great movies. I'm a big fan of his, and I still think this is his best film. It's his second feature. He was, uh, for a long time, about a decade, he directed music videos, especially in the hip-hop genre, for a long time. So he was a big-time director, music video-wise. But then this was his second feature film after a film he made called Bait, which is a a very small-budget crime drama. And after Denzel saw that, I think he approved of Antoine because Denzel was on this project before Fuqua, and then he requested Antoine Fuqua get the role because he felt that I think his voice seemed like it was perfectly suited for this world. Yeah, and since then, Fuqua and Denzel have worked together a ton. They've done the new, the new Equalizer movies. Uh, Fuqua did the Magnificent Seven. And also, David Ayer is a great writer, and he's also a director as well, too. And he's written and made a bunch of great movies. And I think the both of their voices, Fuqua and Ayer, perfectly tell this story of the, this corrupt police detective in L.A. and this underworld of crime that we don't really get a realistic view of, but I think this movie kind of takes it, shows us the realism of it, but also exaggerates the hell out of it with what he does in the film. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie. It's got to be a little glorified and a little fictionalized and a little sensational, but that's be- that's because it's a film. And I-, I think, obviously, the biggest takeaway from this movie is Denzel as Alonzo, and he says it's his favorite car- character that he's ever played in his entire career. And you can't, I mean, you can't argue with that because it must have been a blast for him. He doesn't play the villain very often, and when he does on a situation like this, he is absolutely incredible and magnetic and dynamic, and he deserved the Oscar he won for this. It was his second Oscar. He was already a big-time actor, but he still had never done anything like this before. It was just monumental. He's, he is the the movie. It centers on it. Like, uh, Jake is the lead character, but this is such a big role that Denzel, even though he has less screen time, he won Best Leading Actor at the Oscars. Yeah, which is fantastic. And... Denzel, I mean, what I love about this role is, and about his career is, of course, he plays like, you know, the squeaky clean politician a lot or the the hero and protagonist. But when he takes like the not completely antagonist roles, but like the imperfect men or even sometimes villains like this, like he got game, imperfect character, training day, imperfect character, fences, imperfect character. So when we see someone like Denzel take these kind of roles that you can see a lot of actors want to turn down for the perception it has, maybe for roles going forward, Denzel's fearless in that. And again, like you said, it's his favorite thing he's done. Before we continue, if you want to support Raiders of the Lost podcast, the best thing you can do is become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. Patrons get perks like personalized messages, personalized videos, our podcast schedules. Top-tier patrons get a monthly shout-out on the podcast. Plus, you get exclusive video content, bonus podcast episodes on movies we don't post on YouTube or on the audio platforms, and monthly giveaways. Head on over to our new website, RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com, to check out all of our sources of content, our merch, our custom movie posters, and become a patron today. Be sure to follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave those five-star reviews, subscribe on YouTube if you're watching, and smash that like button. Yeah, and on top of just this being a really well-written screenplay by Ayer, Denzel, apparently by what Fuqua said in interviews, Denzel improvised 90% of what you hear Alonzo say. So that's just incredibly impressive that this is such an iconic character. And yes, Ayer wrote it, and it was inspired by a real police officer in L.A., but Denzel made it so much his own. Like, I mean, the most like one of the most iconic lines in cinema, King Kong ain't got shit on me. That was improvised. And just watching him in this film, you can tell how how much improvisation Fuqua allowed him to do because when Denzel's acting in your movie in a scene, you just be like, yeah, just do whatever you want, man. Just You're, you're Denzel Washington. Well, I guess Fuqua said that on in a behind-the-scenes clip I watched that uh, 
him, Denzel and Ethan Hawke would just constantly be in character. Even cameras stopped rolling. They'd try to get the cameras going again just to catch what they were talking about, just just to see if it could work for the film. They were usually too late because they just wouldn't get out of character because, again, it's a lot of improvisation, a lot of these guys getting into character, but it's still a great script. And I mean, David Ayer's written a bunch of great movies. I mean, the original Fast and Furious, Training Day, SWAT is Cool, Harsh Times, End of Watch, Fury, Suicide Squad. Well, that's not a great movie. Um, <laughs> but um, he, he, him, he has this great voice for the street world in LA. Or in, in LA specifically and ironically he's from like Missouri or something. In uh <laughs> I didn't know that at yeah. all. But um Oh yeah, he's from Illinois. Illinois, That's yeah. That's right. So he has no business like just making LA moves. It's funny. But he, he has a voice that we all kind of resonate with, whether you're from that kind of community or from these areas or not, but they're just very entertaining and the characters are always so great. I didn't know he wrote Fast and Furious One. He must have gotten paid big time for that. 2001. He, mu- he must have gotten that after this came out. Because I, I mean, this could have. I feel like this should have gotten nominated for more awards. It only got the two acting nominations. Uh, if it came out nowadays, I think it would kind of clean up at the Oscars in terms of nominations because it's such a, a fantastic movie. And in terms of Alonzo, Denzel being the centerpiece of this movie, Alonzo was so memorable because we had never really seen a cop like this before. I mean, you'd seen cops go plain clothes. I mean, French Connection, Serpico. You see it plenty of times in film, but this is the first time we see it. Oh, in like Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel. So you've seen bad cops, but the thing with Alonzo is he doesn't feel like a cop in any way at all. The way he speaks, the way he behaves, his outlook on life, his attitude, his persona, uh, his clothing. He feels like he's literally from the streets, and it's such a uh, transformative role for Denzel. I mean, just think about the first time you see him, and Jake walks into that diner, and then you expect to see like a superior officer, or det- like the lead of this unit, um, big time cop, but it's this guy. He's got leather jackets. He's got jewels on. He's got a skull cap on. So yeah, and just like the wearing all black, wearing all the ice. He doesn't look like a cop. And in the diner where Jake and Alonzo meet, that's actually the same diner. It's in uh, on West Seventh Street in L.A. It's a quality coffee shop that's also used in Seven, Ghost World, and Gone in sixty seconds. So that's why it might look so familiar to you all. I don't even think they changed the way it looks at all it's in any of those movies. Shot from a different angle. That's yeah. about it. But Alonzo, like the first time you see him at the diner, all black, the ice dripping, and he's just King Alpha shit is the first thing that comes to my mind. And the, the moment you see him, you're like, this guy is a detective, an undercover detective, and he's immediately he lets you know that he's the boss. I'm in charge. It's my way or the highway. And he's immediately starts playing like manipulative games with with Jake Hoyt, who's trying to enter this unit. He's in the first day of the supposed training day, which he doesn't realize is a, a giant alternative motive for Alonzo to get out of trouble. And I think immediately we, we get a great glimpse of his character, not just the way he talks to Hoyt, but also when they leave the diner and like he just walks across the street without looking. And he's, there's probably a green light for the cars to go by. So immediately we learn that he thinks he's above the law. He kind of has this sort of superiority power complex, maybe even a god complex on some level. And the thing with Alonzo is he's ex- he shows in this first meeting he's very smart, very intelligent person, but it's it's he's complex because you he you mix that com you, you mix that intelligence with like vulgarity and like you said the alpha dog persona like just extreme masculinity and oftentimes in the toxic range for masculinity and and just like he says that joke about um the female officer he makes two jokes about her and so and it's a very funny scene but also he's a complete hard ass like when jake sits down and he tries talking to him alonzo's like can you shut up and let me read my paper just stop talking and then but he pulls it he turns it into a funny thing where he says the newspaper's all bullshit I use it for entertainment, and since you can't let me entertain myself, you have to entertain me, so tell me a story. And he's always putting Jake on his toes because Jake is squeaky clean, boy scout, first day on on this job. And uh, in a lot of ways, he doesn't seem like he belongs in this kind of world, but then he proves himself multiple times that he actually does belong and can eventually thrive. But at first, Jake is, uh, you could say, a complete opposite to Alonzo for the entire film. Yeah, and we'll get into why Jake eventually is the one who kind of survives and wins between these two uh, opposite forces. And Jake, played by Ethan Hawke, one of my favorite roles by him. And you really empathize with him immediately because Foucault opens the film up with Jake waking up with his wife and his newborn child. So we immediately have emotions for Jake. And we learn that everything he's doing is for his family. You know, he he talks about how 
He, you should see the the detectives and the the higher up police officers. You should see their houses. He clearly just wants to provide for his family and give them the best life possible. And his character goes through the most intense transformation you'll ever see in a movie. Because what, what am I? What I think the greatest strength of this film is, besides the acting and in the in the, the script, is it takes place over a twenty four hour period. So we in a year shows us with basically it opens with that very early morning of Jake getting ready and it ends with the very early morning of the audio report of what happened to Alonzo Harris. And so Jake's character goes through this immense transformation. He goes from being naive and ambitious to to, to being basically kind of an, a hardened veteran a, a detective in a way. What I love about the the news report that Jake hears in the morning is it is the news journalist re, uh, reports it in the exact same uh, vernacular as Alonzo uh, sarcastically recites to Jake when he's trying to get him to shoot Roger. Yeah. And it's, the ironic thing yeah. about the ending, which we just talk about right now since yeah. we're on it, is the ending is shows the main one of the main themes of the film is corruption. So even though all this happens and you think Jake is saves the day and you think that Alonzo is going to get taken down, it still ends with the voice report on the news report saying that Alonzo Harris was killed in the line of duty while serving a high arrest warrant. And the thing with this movie is, yes, it is extreme, and it's it, the story is obviously unbelievable at times, but the thing is, it's not like this is a normal day for Alonzo either. This is like the make-or-break moment of his entire life. His life is on the line, so he's going to carry out a, a series of crazy situations and acts in order to save his own life, and Jake's kind of along for the ride. And But even so... I think that if it was just a normal day for, for Alonzo and Jake, Jake would still be surprised by how Alonzo operates. But because this is such extreme circumstances for Alonzo in particular, this is why Jake is along for the ride to see these extreme situations like like Alonzo stealing money from other people or killing Roger just to rob him, all these, ins like forcing him to, to smoke PCP. And so Alonzo is, is on this crazy saga for himself to put it, to save his own life. Before we continue, I have to tell you about one of our great sponsors, Manscaped, the leaders in men's grooming. This company helps keep the lights on for the show, so please check out their products at manscaped.com and use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping for years. I mean decades. I was getting those cheapy trimmers from the drugstore for like $14. They would die after two months, and they'd pull out more hairs than an 80-year-old barber with shaky hands. Manscaped has literally changed the game with the Lawnmower 4.0 groomer, which is basically a rocket ship for your personal grooming needs. I recommend getting your hands on their new performance package 4.0, which is basically a bundle of a ton of their terrific products at a lower cost. Join the over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping today. These are amazing gifts for the men in your life. And guys, just get this for yourself. Yeah, but for Jake, like you said, if if this was a normal day, if he wasn't in the Russians for a million dollars in the next by the end of the day, by midnight, would Jake probably see some of the stuff? Yeah, but not to the extremes. I mean, Alonzo's methods, like before we see like the egregious corruptions, we get a glimpse of the things that Alonzo does that it seems like he's been doing some of these things on a daily basis for years. Like that minor easily cross the line. Yeah, like minor yeah. infractions, minor corruptions. and But there are pros and cons to them, to them all. So like putting that pen down the, by the, dis, down the disabled uh, drug dealer's throat to get the crack rocks out leads to information for a higher-end drug deal. So at the time, you're like, that's unethical, but also they got information for a bigger part of the puzzle. And even, I think a big one is when he pulls over those college students and the way Alonzo handles them, like he grabs the guy's earrings and he literally, they make Has a, a gun, on them, the gun whole time. on them the whole time. And the way he speaks to them, you can see on the insert shots back to Jake, the way Jake's reacting to Alonzo is surprising. He's like, this is not how we're supposed to do it at all. Yeah, and then also in that same scene, letting small-time drug dealers sell in the street in exchange for information so stuff like that Alonzo's trying to explain to Jake that you know there's a big picture to what they do they're not there to stop people just like for speeding or or minor infractions they're trying to what he says catch the wolves and to become and in order to catch a wolf you have to become a wolf and so there are un there are nefarious methods and there's a sort of grade area for these types of police officers who are in these undercover units in these high high crime investigation units where they're sort of walking this line of criminality versus being a police officer at the same time. And even if it was just a normal day for Alonzo, uh, eventually Jake would find himself in situations Alonzo puts him into that breed of intense corruption and criminality because after they kill Roger, the other three members of Alonzo's crew 
are totally fine with it. They don't bat an eyelash after murdering this man and, and stealing his money, and they all are happily accept a cut of the money found under his floorboards. It's something they look like they've yeah, done a dozen times. Exactly. So they've all done that so many times. So clearly, if it wasn't today, uh, Jake would become uh, a part of one of these situations eventually. So it was going to happen inevitably, even if it wasn't this uh, crazy day for Alonzo. Yeah, and you can clearly tell that all these behaviors and things that Alonzo does and how extreme they are, it obviously didn't start out like that with him because the first time we meet Roger, who's supposedly Alonzo's buddy, he's like a informant, but also funnels drugs. And, you know, we learned that he's trying to save up to get out of this state and country forever. Roger says to Alonzo that he looks just like Jake did, like on his first day in the job, like wide-eyed, trying to do good. So, but and Alonzo I, even says, "You remind me of of myself when I was." I was he's like, "I was just like you. I was just like yeah. you." So, but it, you can tell that Alonzo, at one point in his life, was moral and had a compass, a, a moral compass, and wanted to do good. But I guess you could say that being an undercover and becoming a dirty cop and all these little things. It maybe started off where he would just stretch things a little bit, maybe change evidence just a little bit to make these cases stick, to make these Skip arrests off stick, the top. just to make sure that they could they could arrest somebody because his record is phenomenal with the with the hours he's put in jail. And on top of that, the three wise men who were three extremely powerful men inside of the police department, they respect Alonzo just the way they speak to him. They he clearly has earned his stripes, and you're probably right. As he the thing with Alonzo is he was he became corrupted by his power. And the more he tested it, the pro probably the more he got. And he just he he reached this point where he's just like, these are my streets. Like he be he took like a criminal mentality of like the streets belong to me. I run this place. Like when they go to the jungle, he's like he tells Jake like, don't ever come here without me. He's like, I run this place. This is, this is my my neighborhood. Rather than when Jake says don't, they say don't come in here without with less than a SWAT. So yeah. he compares himself to like the SWAT. And the bigger and bolder his actions probably came throughout his career to make all these arrests now he's crossed the line of being a criminal and he's on the other side of the rope now but then also alonzo for as bad as he is he does show moments of like morality or like uh things that you can kind of get behind like when when jake stop, saves that girl from the two crackheads who are trying to rape her and then alonzo like beats the crap out of them and and he hold like he yes he holds his his gun up to that guy in a horrible way but then you can you can you the way that Alonzo speaks to them he's like he he was so these guys did something so horrible that even Alonzo is despi is despises them you know what i mean there is a morality to him somewhere within him i think maybe scenes like that are glimpses of what he used to be because because even though yeah what he's doing is punishing these men for what they tried to do to the young girl he still goes about it in a in a vicious way. Like he still like seems to be enjoying causing when he pain. scrapes the guns yeah. He's together. like he, those guns are like they're like he's like sharpening knives in a way or something like that. So he seems to just be enjoying tormenting people and torturing people. So although it seems moral, it's still at the same time immoral what he's doing the pleasure he's getting out of so he gets all this pleasure from tormenting jake the entire film whether it's psychological belittling him making fun of him humiliating him but at the same time he's a master manipulator because he does this the whole time as well as there are moments where he lifts jake up and shows respect for jake exactly but also alonzo is such a manipulator he thinks that even criminals have his back are and are on his side and and are loyal to him. But what do you, you often see multiple times like Smiley's crew and then the crew at the jungle, once Alonzo leaves them, they talk smack about him. And they're like, they're sick of Alonzo. And Alonzo, yes, he in a way runs the neighborhoods, but they're tired of his dominant behavior and, and the way he handles everything. And they're tired they're tired of kind of being uh, dependent on him to keep them from getting out of jail so they can keep doing what they want to do. Alonzo keeps them kind of at a leash and they're all sick of it. Yeah, because Alonzo, he thinks he's untouchable. He thinks he's the king of this jungle. He thinks he's sees himself sort of like a god, you could say, at moments, which is probably what led to him beating that mobster to death. He didn't know it was a Russian mobster, but beating that man to death in Las Vegas, he thought he could get away with it because he's been getting away with everything for so long. And I think for Lorenzo, I mean, <laughs> Lorenzo, <laughs> Lorenzo. <laughs> I think for Alonzo, <laughs> there's this hierarchy in this film of being the king of the jungle or like the top of the mountain. And Alonzo, he seems to be there when we are introduced to him 
but he's clearly about to tumble down from the top of this throne. And like all kings who become corrupt with power, they make many mistakes while they're on the throne. And then right before they're about to be dethroned, they act desperately like he does throughout this entire film. Yeah, and when he—I love how they didn't show what he did in Vegas because you don't have to. The way that Alonzo behaves and acts throughout the film makes you believe like he must have beat this guy to a bloody pulp in in Las Vegas, and they don't have to show it. And you actually do see how violent he is when he fights Jake on the rooftop. Like he beats the crap out of Jake, and and uh, he's extremely ruthless. So you can imagine that's basically what he did to the guy in Vegas, the Russian mobster. And so he is a lethal, brutal, ruthless man when he when cu- push comes to shove. I mean, he kills his friend Roger. We think they're buds. I mean, the first time him and Jake go there, they're just drinking scotch and, and hanging out, and they're talking about old times. And, and this is a great scene because we learn a lot about Jake because Roger apparently follows all the good high school players, and he recognizes Jake's last name and that he played strong sh- safety. And, and this is a moment where Alonzo shows respect for Jake because strong safety, you could argue, is probably the most athletic athletic position on a football field. And at one of the hardest. Yeah, one of the hardest. You have to be very intelligent, but you also have to be very daring because you're putting your body on the line more than anybody on the field. Yeah, and strong safeties, they generally have to tackle people that are much bigger than them, whether yeah. whether it be a wide receiver, a tight end, or just a really strong running back. So they have to be tough guys because you have to run full speed at, at a guy who's 100 pounds larger than you running full speed at you. Yeah, and hit them. We used to be head first, but yeah. shoulder to shoulder now. <laughs> So strong safety, that's a really difficult position, requires a lot of de- discipline, but those guys are also out of their minds too because I think it's the most insane and, and difficult position, I mean, the most insane and athletic position on the field probably. And I love how Alonzo is impressed when he hears that because he, he keeps thinking that Jake is this boy scout that I mentioned earlier, just this, this squeaky clean kid, but he keeps surprising Alonzo, and that's another surprise. But also, so at, this is another situation where Alonzo shows that goodness within him that's like deep down buried underneath him that good quality of where a good man once probably was because after they kill roger and then he and and alonzo and jake are arguing in the car because jake is obviously horrified that he watched them murder roger and he's being uh, framed into staying playing as a part of it and alonzo says i watched him sell dope to kids for 10 years and so and alonzo seems like he's kind of in a way, defending what he did to Roger is not just about money, but he's glad that he was able to get Roger off the streets because he's a villain in society. And so you can understand that, like, Alonzo has spent 10 years befriending this guy for this one moment where he can finally take him out thanks to the the judge signing the, what do you call it? The warrant. The warrant to, to invade the home and actually lawfully go in. And so I think Alonzo, even though, yes, he, he needed Roger's money, he also wanted to kill Roger because of how much of a criminal he was. So there is that's another hint and little example of that that original good man that was once inside Alonzo. Well, again, you're, the the concept of morality of of these glimpses of maybe what he used to be are also again mixed in with the horrible evil nature where he kills the man cold blooded. Yeah. He doesn't have to murder him. He kills him to take his money, and also after he kills him, he's. He shoots him in the lungs with with the shotgun shells, so he's just got holes in his lungs. And, and he's, he's smiling. Tell, he's smiling and like watching him die, and and he's telling Roger breathe to breathe, dog, just breathe, just breathe dog. dog, just breathe. And he's like enjoying watching him die, and he wants him to die sooner. So even though taking down Roger, if they had arrested him, would have been fine. Maybe if he wasn't in a million, it would have just been an arrest. But it's something that he clearly was had been saving for at least a decade to do. But he didn't. The way he kills him kind of takes away the glimpse of morality he might have. Yeah. And I love this scene also because there are two like kind of great stories we get. We get the snail story from Roger. And I'm just going to recite it real quick if that's cool with you. Go for it. So one day this man walks out of his house to go to work. He sees this snail on his porch. So he picks it up and chucks it over his roof into the backyard. The snail bounces off a rock, cracks its shell all to shit, and lands in the grass. The snail lies there dying. But it doesn't die. It eats some grass, slowly heals, grows a new shell. After a while, it can crawl again. One day, the snail up and heads back to the front of the house. Finally, after a year, the little guy crawls on the back porch. Right then, the man walks out to go to work and sees the snail again. So he says to it, what the fuck's your problem? And I love this story. And Roger says, once you figure that out, you'll figure out the streets. But 
I don't think what Roger really understands is that the story is a, is Jake. You know, Jake is that snail, and Alonzo is the man that chucks him. So Alonzo's just messing with Jake all day and just beating him to a pulp and and manipulating him and, and tries to get him killed and is trying to frame him and be a scapegoat for all the horrible things he's doing that day. But no matter what, Jake is the snail. because A snail's a snail. It's just going to grow its shell back and keep moving. Jake is a moral person. You can't change Jake. He's not like Alonzo. That's the difference between them. Jake cannot be corrupted. So Jake's going to keep doing what Jake's going to do. He's going to grow his shell back and keep fighting back. I think that that story is more about just the streets in general, where the, the man is the streets. The man's story just represents, you know, the streets. And the snail represents, you know, an innocent person in the streets and and how this, the streets chew you up and spit you out. And no matter what you do, to come and you you try to I don't know salvage your life and and try to get out and try to do something good with yourself the streets will take you again and I just think that the story means there's and since he shows up at the house again and the and the, the man's just like what the fuck's your problem it means I'm gonna I'm gonna kick you down and if you come back I'm gonna kick you down again so there's no way you can get out of this so I think that that's what the story represents yeah, it's an interesting take and also Thanks. smiles and cries which I like which is when Jake is high on PCP and he's like that's just all about smiles and cries <laughs> and uh, you just gotta control your smiles and cries and I like it because I think it means you have to control your weakness you can't show weakness when you're working in the streets and you're undercover or even if you're not even a cop if you just live in in uh in in the streets and that's your your culture or where you where you grew up or whatever but you can't show weakness of any kind so showing joy and smiling that's a sign of vulnerability for sure it's a sign of benevolence and then crying is obviously a sign of weakness so these things in the streets will probably get you killed and i think that's what jake's trying to explain i think the smiles and cries also means not to show emotions yeah basically that's yes. what i'm saying basically. yeah exactly so no being emotionless will keep you alive on the streets smiles and cries <laughs> well let's smile and cry our way into our intermission and play some fun movie wow, games great and, transition yeah I, I like that and then uh, this is brought to you by our friends at manscaped use our coupon code raiders of the lost at checkout for 20 percent off and our intermission will if you are new to the show is just going to be some fun competitions with movie stuff some pop quizzes uh we'll talk about some cool things let's start off with our movie quote competition i have two from fans that wrote into us so All right let's hear it um here's one from Tom Feakin. Let's go, Tom. Ah, oh, Junior, you're gonna break your old man's heart. Who's Junior in the movie? Ah, oh, Junior. I don't know. I can't think of it. I don't know. What is it? Let me Google it. Avengers: Age of Ultron. James Spader is Ultron. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, says yeah. it. Or Tony Stark says it. Yeah, Tony Stark says it's Ultron because yeah. he's a little kid. Yeah. He's like he's like yeah. He's, he yeah. created him. All right. Um. All right. I got another one from Colin. Don't point your gun at him. He's an unpaid intern. Oh, uh, I know. It's um, what's it called? Steve Zissou. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Good, good guess. Yeah, nice job. Life Aquatic. <laughs> That's a funny movie. It's a great movie. It's so underrated. <laughs> Such an underrated movie. That's his biggest budget movie. What, like forty million? Forty like million dollars? No, forty million. <laughs> he lost it all. <laughs> no one saw that movie. Yeah. All right, here's my movie quote. You didn't take it any further, sir. You've proved to me that all this ultra-violence and killing is wrong, wrong, and terribly wrong. I've learned me lesson, sir. I've seen now what I've never seen before. I'm cured. Please, praise God. Gave her the old in and out, in and out. In and out, in out. <laughs> Clockwork orange. <laughs> yeah, it's Alex. <laughs> Good one. All right, guess this movie release year. Old Boy, the original that Chan, I mean, the original that Chanwick Park made. 2004. 2003. Ah. That is an amazing movie, everybody. Ah. If you haven't seen Old Boy, go check it out. Oh, man. I did an Ethan Hawke one. Can't wait to hear it. Gattaca. I love this movie. Oh, man. Um, Let's see if you love it enough. 2002. 1997. Oh my god, that was in my head too. 1997 <laughs> was just like, say 1997. I say 1997. I'm like, there's no way it could have been 1997. Yeah, Holy it was crap. before Kill Bill. Wow, that's an old movie, man. Yeah, it's an old movie. Because I'm like, Jude and Ethan and Umar are all so young They're in super it. super young. Yeah. yeah. Man, I swear in my head I was screaming Yeah, Umar wasn't even 30. I don't think any of them were. He did He did Gattaca like right after Before Sunrise. Yeah, I really love that movie. Yeah, it's a great film. All right, 
Movie pop quiz time. What is the name of Edward Norton's character in Fight Club? The narrator. Yeah, he doesn't have a name. Yeah, no name. You gotta give everyone a second sorry, to answer. Sorry, I did the first time. Oh my god, I'm getting used to it. Hold on. Next time you say the question, you gotta put your hand up. I, so I, I what I have to do is every time we film. No, I'll do a pause. Every the, episode, I'll do a pause on the edit. You want me to get a stop sign? I will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stop sign would be I'll great. I'll flip a, a stop sign to you. Shut the f. Shut up. up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my pop quiz question. I did a Denzel one. Cool. What three movies has Denzel directed? Fences. That's one. Do you want a hint for one of them? Sure. Uh, Derek Luke, isn't it? Oh my God! It's the um, he's it's about with the lawyer, or the, the the athlete? Or no, no, it's it's the the soldier, the soldier who's being investigated. Or no, the soldier's just, got dealing with past trauma. Oh yeah, so the soldier. Oh my God, what's that called? I can't remember what it's called. Antoine Fisher. Yeah, Antoine Fisher. Yeah. Tell me the other one. The Great Debaters. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> one for three. <laughs> Anyways, okay, man. hello. <laughs> Who's the biggest hater of the week? Oh, I got one. So Anthony made a great clip, as he always does, for Thanks, our TikTok. Man. And he did one about the chestburster scene in Alien, the original oh, yeah. one. Um, which the, the clip that he made talks about how um, Ridley Scott in the visual effects department, they it was obviously in the script that an alien was going to like burst out of the chest of John Hurt or something was going to happen. But the actors, they had they were left completely in the dark of what it was going to look like, how they were going to film it, and, and what was going to happen on set that day. And so when the alien bursts out of John Hurt's chest in that film— It was all practical. Yeah, it was all practical, and yeah. they did it on set. And, you know, the blood squirts out and the alien comes up. None of the actors knew what it would look like. So their reaction is pretty genuine because they're like, holy crap, is John Hurt okay? There's an alien like coming out of his chest. And I know Sigourney, there's a Sigourney Weaver interview where she said she was actually concerned because she thought some of it was real or something was I going think on. she thought that, like, the effect might have been hurting him. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Or, or something had gone wrong, like something mechanical. And so it's, it's a, a real clip. It's a good clip. And um, we had a hater named Emmanuel Park. 95 said they had no idea something was going to burst out of their chest. She thought he was going to die. No way. But if you actually listen to the clip, that's not at all what we said. Of course, they all had read the script before. They knew what was going to happen that day, but they just didn't know what it would look like effects-wise. Jeez, why don't you try listening, Emmanuel? People just like to not listen to what we say. People just like to hate, man. Haters all day. It's amazing how quickly people try to prove you wrong over something. Bro, if I was on set and like I knew something was going to happen, but I didn't know, I, I would have freaked the hell out. Yeah, it, it would have been messed it's up. It's crazy. Yeah. It looks so real. <laughs> Anyways. Let's who's, move. who's our biggest supporter of the week? Biggest fan of the week goes to Michael Karanja. He's been a patron since September 2020. Top tier Michael. patron. So Michael is the best. We love you so much, Michael. Thank you so much for being such a big supporter of the show. And we hope you keep enjoying it. You're the man. Let's do On This Day in Film History. And today's June 14th. And the mother of the hosts of Raiders of the Lost podcast was born. Happy birthday, Mom. She's a huge fan of Denzel Washington. She thinks he's super handsome. So this is a great episode for her to be on. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mom. All right. And streaming recommendation, I put down The Descent, which is on Amazon Prime. And this is a great horror movie. If you're terrified of caves and claustrophobia, phobia, don't watch it because it's going to make you feel like you're in a box. We um, we saw this when we were kids. It was horrifying, and the creature design is so awesome, and it seems like it's like seems like it could happen. You know what I mean? If yeah. you go deep enough into the into the earth, are there like humanoid creatures that have been there for thousands of years? And like it, Gollum, it's Gollum. Yeah, it's like humans who have evolved to live in dark, complete darkness in in caves. It's disturbing. Yeah, it's terrifying. I've seen it like five times. Just it's great. It's just like one of those horror movies that like you just like. It's like hot sauce. It's like feels good, but also it burns at the same time. <laughs> Did you say it feels good? Yeah, you get the endorphin rush. <laughs> what do you think I put? What do you lather it all over your body? Bro, I put Cholula on everything. You oh, know this hot sauce feels so good. Feels amazing. Ah, oh, feels so good. Depends on how many endorphins I want rushing through my brain. We need a hot sauce sponsor now. <laughs> Cholula, look us up. <laughs> you would be so excited. I would love that, man. Before we continue, I have to tell you about MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. They have any kind of movie, framing, backlighting, whatever you want, they can handle it. They've also teamed up with our podcast to offer a very special promo. Use our promo code Raiders15, again Raiders15, at MoviePosters.com to get 15% off your order today. If you're a fan of movies, if you're a fan of TV shows, there's no better way 
to express that love than decking out your place with a bunch of movie and TV posters. Again, head on over to movieposters.com and use our promo code Raiders15. Again, Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. All right, let's head back into training day. And we were just talking about the scene with Roger, Jake, and Alonzo. And and then the second time that they show up at Roger's house, that's to technically tax Roger. That's what Alonzo calls it because he meets with the three wise men. And we learn throughout the film more and more about Alonzo's situation and how he's into the Russians for a million dollars. And these three wise men are like politicians and high-ranking police officials. And they're the thing about it and this main theme of corruption a lot, Foucault shows you that, and Ayer show you that corruption is rampant everywhere, whether it's on the streets, off the streets, with the police force, with the politicians, it's everywhere. They're all they're all basically criminals in their own way. And Alonzo is going to he's what he's trying to do is gather as much cash as he can. And that's why he takes the the cash when they go into that drug dealer's home and he stuffs it in the trunk and then he uses that cash to pay for this warrant, which is an illegally got warrant for seizing Roger's house. Yeah, so he needed the money to pay off the the powerful um, men in the department to sign and the judge to, to sign this warrant. And the meeting with the three wise men helps the audience understand what's going on with Alonzo because, yes, Smiley tells us the, the, full story. the full story, but here we get the, the first major hint that Alonzo has messed up so bad as Tom Bergeron's character uh, says that like he can't believe how badly he messed up and that he's in for some serious money and he's in dire circumstances. And it gets to the point where they even say uh, he's like, I don't want to see you on the front of the newspaper like all those other assholes. Like he doesn't. It's That's when we learn that, oh, Alonzo's life is in danger. Like what exactly is going on? So and it's I, an important scene. And I love the scene where I think it's the judge that's sitting closest to him. And he's telling that story about the guy who got arrested and then put chunky peanut butter in his in his crack in his pants. And when he got sent, when he was in the courtroom during his trial, he pulled it out and started licking it and licked his hands clean. And the judge, because there was a very, like they called, they said that the judge was very smart, but she was too smart and didn't realize that he was messing with her to, to get off. He got put into a mental facility and then was on the street six months later. And I think that's a great story because it shows, I think that's like a contrast or, or, or it shows like a, a metaphor for Alonzo's character where Alonzo's at the point where he's about to do anything he can to get out of the trouble he's in. Just like that criminal did everything he could. He put peanut butter in his in his butt crack and licked it in court in a courtroom to get off of his crimes. And the brilliance of Alonzo is because he needs Jake there with him. And because Jake is so new to this, he has no idea what the world is like in the narcotics division. He thinks that the way Alonzo is operating on this day in particular is normal, like using a Chinese menu for a warrant and breaking into someone's home. And he thinks that like this is something that Alonzo usually does because Alonzo keeps saying, tell, tell him about big picture stuff. Like it's okay to break the rules to get to think about the big fish and, and to get the big wolves. But what he doesn't understand that Alonzo, he's breaking these rules more than ever because he's so desperate. Yeah, and actually, that's a great point you brought up the menu. That scene where he they get the information from the drug dealer who's Snoop Dogg, and it's the Sandman, and they go to the Sandman's yeah, residence. Yeah, Sandman! They go to the Sandman's residence, and Alonzo finds that cash in the bedroom. The the aunt in that house is actually Macy Gray, the singer, and that was, I think, her, think her first She's really good in that yeah, scene. Yeah, she's great. I didn't know it was her, but the makeup's fantastic, and she's got, like, fake gold tooth, so they really wanted to throw people off that it's not her, but you can tell by her voice for sure. Bitch-ass, crooked-ass cop. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't no police. Blast these fools. Blast these fools. <laughs> shoot me. And you gonna shoot me. And I love that scene because they're just in a gunfight, and Jake is still, like, after the scene, he's still with Alonzo because Jake, like you said, he doesn't know any better. He's so naive. He's so... Um, Alonzo has convinced him that this is the way. Yeah. And if you really... Because Jake, more than anything, what he wants to do, like you said earlier, yeah, he cares about his family, but Jake wants to make a difference in the world. His his goal is to, to he, like he says multiple times, to, to lock up criminals and get drugs off the streets and save the innocents. And so he's beginning to think that, because of Alonzo, he's beginning to think that in order for me to actually do that, I have to do what Alonzo does because Alonzo does that great scene when he pulls over and, and Alonzo's like, this is the way it is. You can stick with me or you can go help them over there. And he points to a cop, a traffic cop, helping someone out with a flat tire. 
And Jake looks at that cop and he's like, that's not what I want to do. That doesn't make a real difference. And I want to actually change the world and change things around here. And so Alonzo is such a master manipulator that he's able to convince Jake for the most most of this film to think that this is the you can break the rules and you can act like a criminal. And it's okay because what we're doing in the long run changes changes things, whereas just being a normal beat cop doesn't do much at all. Yeah, and there's two shots in this movie that I love that Fuquad got that kind of show that when it comes to Jake and Alonzo, it seems that one of them's not going to make it after this 24-hour period. One of them's going to die and one of them's going to survive. And it's after the shootout, Fuqua gets multiple shots, like two or three shots of the rear window. And there's three bullet holes in them. And he constantly gets the shot of that with the silhouette of both of their heads in the front and driver's seat. And I think there are two or three shots of it, but I think he's showing you that someone's not going to make it at the end of this day. Someone's going to die. There's also, I think it's a visual me- metaphor of that. When Jake gets home and he pulls into his driveway at the end of the day, uh, and Fuqua, when the car pulls into the driveway, he has the car pull right up to the camera lens and you, it ends on the headlights of the car. And the, the headlight on each side is two lights. And on that side where those headlights are right in center frame, one light is ult, one light bulb is out and one light bulb is shining. So I think that could represent uh, one person that survived out of the two. And there's some really intense situations in this movie. I think that it's my probably, probably my favorite sequence would be the entire uh, card sequence at Smiley's house because it's so intense because Alonzo, I think he's realized at this point that Jake can't be trusted because he couldn't he didn't want to take the money he seems to be like i think alonzo had a plan that jake could have survived because he likes him he like yeah. he says he's got the magic guy you all watching he's got the magic yeah. guy but i think it got to the point where alonzo's like i cannot trust this guy he's gonna turn us in or rat on us so he needs to go and so i think he set up this meeting with with smiley to drop him at smiley's house to kill the, to kill him and I, it's such an intense sequence fuqua establishes the scene so well because it seems like like alonzo says like it's just like a normal drop off i'm just giving these guys some you know a blender and stuff toaster really money inside <laughs> he says he's like helping informants out and it's like a normal thing and he's like it's on the way we just gotta stop here real quick so it's set up as this insignificant uh little uh, little thing going on but it turns into uh, the defining moment of of jake's life yeah and the, it's a defining moment because jake's character is what makes him survive in this scenario what makes him survive past alonzo because jake's the one that wanted alonzo to pull over when he saw the girl being accosted in that alleyway and because jake's such a good person he stopped what it was going on he saved the girl saved smiley's cousin he didn't obviously know kept the wallet who knows bringing for evidence maybe he could return it to her someday but that act of selflessness and trying to help somebody is what saved jake's life whereas alonzo doesn't care about other people he's not trying to save anybody's life anymore and that's what leads to his death yeah, Smiley even says that I don't want I don't shake his hand because he doesn't respect nothing. But that card scene is so well written and so well directed because the guys, Smiley's crew, they obviously they're they're they seem dangerous and like you don't want to cross them and it is a, a daunting situation for Jake just to be sitting at the table because he's a cop and and you know they hate cops. Uh, but he sits down and he starts playing with them, playing poker with them. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a lot of nonverbal uh, communication and action going on among the guys because what happens is when Jake sits down and he's playing the card game, you can actually hear in the background Alonzo's car leaving, but we don't know it's Alonzo yet. And then what happens is after the first card game, uh, Murano, um, the uh, the third guy, he starts you know messing with Jake like, hey, can I see your gun? I want to see your gun. And the guys keep acting like, hey, don't be don't be lame. Like let him see your gun just just for a second. And so Jake. You know, thinking that he's safe, thinking that Alonzo's in the other room. He gives him the gun, but obviously he takes out the chamber bullet and the entire clip. The magazine. Entire, entire magazine. Takes out the entire magazine. We got, we've got we gotten yelled at for that a few times. And he gives the gun away. and then, But real quickly, without even noticing, Smiley sneaks the magazine and grabs it. He turns to the sink and he's like hiding it. Yeah. And, and Morano's just like playing around with the gun. And then... After that, Jake realizes they're not going to give me the gun back, and he just made a huge mistake by surrendering surrendering himself. And it's really smart of the three guys to talk him into getting rid of his weapon because it's, it's obviously he's a cop. He's highly trained. He could be very dangerous for them if they try to attack him while he still has his gun. So a brilliant way of uh, by them of having him disarm himself. And then Jake's just screwed. And another small 
blink and you miss moment about this scene happens before it. So after the scene where they they kill Roger and they they set the scene to make it they dress the scene to make it look like Jake came in and and Roger shot first and Jake took him out with the shotgun and they stole all his money. When the choppers and everything's coming in and Jake is like outside getting some air to try to process everything that's going on, which he will never accept what's going on. We see Alonzo in his car on his cell phone and he's talking like amicably to somebody and he's like laughing and i think we all assume it's like his wife or because he says he's he's got a queen so i think it's, we think it's his wife and he says something like just have the bathtub ready and you think like oh maybe he's just going home to his wife in the bathtub but we don't realize he's talking to smiley he's like get the bathtub ready because you're gonna kill this guy and that's obviously what leads to the scene that's such an, an intense and horrifying moment when they when they start dragging Jake across the floor, and Fuqua does this the great overhead shot, the bird's eye view of it, uh, you know, like the Tarantino Scorsese God's eye looking down on the scene. And when they put him in the bathtub, you're like, oh my God, what is going to happen? It's so intense. But luckily, like you said, him saving the girl uh, lay, set Smiley up to to spare him. And like you said earlier, Alonzo doesn't understand. Alonzo's lost his humanity. But Jake still holds on to his humanity, and it's his humanity that saved him in the end. And again, Jake's humanity is the reason why Alonzo wants to kill him, because Jake won't take the money at Roger's house. All the other guys will. They're part of the crew. You can tell they're they're spending their money. They all look have like these dressed-up looks. And, you know, I'm very nice comfortable. Suit. But Jake won't take the money because Jake will not be corrupted. And Jake doesn't realize that that's led to him being almost assassinated. And the thing is, like... It get, when, Jake, when Jake survives Smiley's house, he doesn't just take down Alonzo because it's the right thing to do. He does it because he has to, because he's put himself in this situation of, from the outside looking in, he looks like he's part of this crew, and he's corrupt as well. You know, he's got drugs in his system. He's, he murdered, he's part of the crew that murdered Roger. So he's salvaging his own life by taking out Alonzo and that's why he needs the money he's not just doing it just to stop Alonzo because just because he needs justice for him but to save his own life he needs that money as well so it becomes this battle for two men battling over this bag of money yeah and there's a there's a gr couple great scenes with Alonzo and his like secret family and his mistress played by Ava Mendez and Alonzo has a son which it's kind of surprising when you find out and the interesting thing about it is Alonzo speaks Spanish. He, he seems like he speaks a couple, uh, multiple languages because I think he's either speaking Korean or Chinese. It looks like Mandarin. Yeah, something, uh, one of those. And then um, Alonzo is fluent in Spanish, it looks like. And when he talks to his son, he doesn't say estas. He says esta, which is an informal form of of you. I don't know if they did that on purpose or by accident. No, I think I'll tell you, I'll add on to this. But I think that he says esta because... He doesn't really recognize this child fully as his son. He doesn't even kiss him. He kisses his hand and slaps the kiss on his son's head. He doesn't have any kind of relationship to him. And you can see later on that his son has no loyalties to Alonzo when he seems to be more receptive to Jake. I think that it's, I don't. I absolutely think that he knows he's his son. It's not. Oh, no, he knows his son. Yeah. It, it. But it's just that Alonzo is emotionless. And I think it's like comes that but down to the, like the smiles and cries idea that in order to do what he does, in order to be the top dog in this alpha filled world, he needs to be as hard as he can, and he needs to show as little emotion as possible. And so he's he hasn't established any kind of loving or nurturing relationship with this little boy, and because of that, like you said. The boy doesn't have any loyalty to him, which is why he hesitates and doesn't go to Alonzo when Alonzo is calling him down the hallway because Alonzo technically hasn't really at all been a father to him. Yeah, I, th I think that's why he says a star. Yeah, it's got to be. I, gotta I could be. be wrong. Because he shows up and Ava Mendez's character is like surprised to see him. Like yeah. she, It seems like he only shows up there every once in a while. You know, he probably pays for the apartment and stuff, but like otherwise, he's probably in and out maybe a couple times a month, and so he doesn't even have a, a established relationship with the boy. And even when he's there, we never see him actually spending time with the boy except for that thirty-second conversation when he's leaving. Yeah, exactly. With his gun in his hand. Yeah, he's yeah, he's got his gun on his on his lap while he's talking to the boy. So I'm sure that boy, more than anything, is intimidated by his father uh, by far. And so Alonzo's plan went from 
trying to use Jake as a pawn to help with his corruption by making him smoke the PCP, gaining power over him to to make him do whatever he wants and manipulate him to having trying to have Jake killed because Jake couldn't be trusted when he wouldn't take the money to then J to then Jake comes after Alonzo after Smiley and his crew let him go to stop him because Alonzo thinks he's won when we see him in the bedroom with with his with his girlfriend he thinks everything's going to be okay. He's got the million dollars cash. He just has to make it to midnight. But then Jake kind of throws a wrench in that all, and he tries to play it off like, oh, you passed the test. You're in the unit. Congratulations. This is all part of the plan and everything like that. And then we have the beatdown. Jake, we realize Jake's not an idiot anymore. Yeah, Jake. Jake's wised up to all of his mistakes that he's made throughout this film. Mm -hmm. And then one of the most powerful moments in the film is after, you know, Alonzo beats the crap out of Jake on those balconies in that rooftop. Jake just jumps on his car and then <laughs> beats the crap out of Alonzo. And then the neighborhood in the hood, the jungle that Alonzo thought he had power over and was the king of, all turn on him. And they, the leader says, you got to put your own work, work in around here. It's like that? It's like that. Yeah, it's like that. And Alonzo, he doesn't have the cash. And I, I think his— but you, know what, you know what I love about that scene, though? Uh, the neighbor, the neighborhood scenes is that Terry Crews is in the background, Jacked. and he's like before anyone knew who Terry Crews was, and he's obviously there because he's like gigantic, yeah, and he looks like tough as hell. But it's just so funny knowing how goofy he is and he's how a nice funny, guy. how sweet of a, and funny of a guy he is that he's playing like this this hardened criminal in the background of all these shots is pretty yeah. funny. But I love this scene because Alonzo doesn't have the money; he's a dead man. He kind of knows this, but even though he's about to die and he knows he's probably going to be killed, he still acts like he's bigger than everybody else. He still he calls himself he says he's bigger than king kong so even though he's about to die he acts like he's still king he says he can't he, he's in so many words he's like i no one can you can't stop me you can't kill me so yeah he's blind and he's he's delusional with power yeah and he i mean i think his biggest mistake was not taking a cab to the airport <laughs> probably <laughs> it's pretty easy to identify his monte carlo has been shot up and crashed and uh and his biggest mistake is is uh underestimating jake hoyt Oh, yeah. Big time. And then uh, Alonzo, I, it's so funny because we just watched The Godfather after training day, and Alonzo pretty much gets shot up the same way that Santino does yeah, in The Godfather, Sonny. just like, like a hundred uh. bullets. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would guess that's a, a reference to The Godfather. I think Could it has be. to be. Could be. I mean, the way they do it yeah, comes out of the car and gets mm -hmm. shot again yeah. twice. So I think it it's definitely like Fuqua paying his respect to The Godfather. It's a great homage. He did a great job with that scene. Yeah, that's that's intense. Like he, Denzel's such a great actor. Like the way he gets out of that car, his body's contorting and like the, he's such a, a phenomenal actor. Just the physicality of that moment is incredible. Yeah, a lot of people we get in their comment sections is like, oh, Denzel, he just plays the same. He's the same actor every role. He always is the <laughs> same person. <laughs> this movie, you can't deny, he's a different human being walking around. Everything about Alonzo is just so authentic and unique and unrecognizable even though it's clearly denzel's face that's something they've they've probably only seen like four or five denzel probably movies. they've probably seen like inside man and no not they man probably, on fire probably, yeah man on fire yeah. and, and like those action heavy watch movies. crimson tide you know the, oh, the i still think Glory. crimson tide is like his best movie Glory. his performance he's, yeah he's great in crimson tide oh man <sighs> but he's got so many great one-liners like i walk on higher paths son and the shit's chess it ain't checkers and i've been playing on this all week and so we learned Alonzo's got this crazy master plan. He's been keeping it from Jake the whole time. And Does she have a liquor license? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many lines, and it's it's insane. And I love the character, even though how evil he is. And he just becomes more and more evil throughout the film. Uh, yeah, and it's I think it's the defining performance of Denzel's career in a career full of incredible performances. I think that when people think of Denzel, they think of Training Day as his best work. And you can't argue with that. It's it, he's astounding in this movie. Fuqua was a perfect director for this. He shoots anamorphic and it looks great. It feels so gritty, but also has great style to it, in, which his um, films have always had. He, I think he's always had great cinematography. And and Ethan Hawke is a great uh, co-lead. He, he was fantastic in this movie. Uh, and I think that he plays uh, the more stoic person. So it's you, you don't really see. He doesn't have like. Scenery chewing dialogue, really, but he does a fantastic job opposite Denzel. Yeah, he just does a lot of reacting yeah. to what Alonzo does. And I love the ending of this movie. Two reasons why. 
again, I stated earlier how the news, the the radio um, announcement really just states that Alonzo was died serving out a high arrest warrant. So what, even though he got shot up with a thousand bullets in the middle of the street, the system is still so corrupt that they covered that up. And nothing Jake probably can do will change that. And I also love how Jake survives. And you can, I can kind of see him as becoming like this new Alonzo-type figure because he's got the respect of multiple gangs in the area now. He's got the respect of that jungle, of the men and women there. He's also got the respect of Smiley and the crew there for saving uh, their cousins. So maybe Jake, after this ending, goes into being like the head king of the underworld for uh, for the uh, special investigation— for the narcotics unit. I wouldn't be against seeing a, a sequel. That'd be pretty cool. I don't think, I mean, he wouldn't be as, as a, much of a villain as Alonzo, but I think that Jake, more than anything he learned, even though Alonzo was such a corrupt cop, he realized with his experience with him that if Jake really wants to make a difference, he has to step over some rules and boundaries in order to do so. Yeah, and just the shots of him walking into the diner like it's the first day of summer camp, super naive. What's going to happen today to the the shot of him walking away from Alonzo when the gang members take over and encircle him, then walk away? Completely different human being. Yeah, it's a great transformation. Do you want to do some superlatives? Let's do it. All right, who is your MVP of the movie? Denzel Mother F in Washington. Let's go. Come on. Yeah, 100%. He's also the best actor. There's no point in bringing that up. Best actor. (laughs) What's the best scene? Bathtub scene. Yeah, Jake in the bathtub. Oh, my God. Even though Denzel's not in it, it's still like... The first time you saw that, you're like, he's dead. He's dead. Just the whole scene in general from the poker game to the bathtub is incredible. It's a fantastic sequence. It's the, the strongest moments of the movie. What's the best shot? For me, the two best shots are this, are identical shots. It's the sunrise and the sunset that Fuqua get. The sunrise, obviously, at the beginning of the day when Jake's heading in for the first time. And then at the end of the day, and then the, the sunset, the next sunset, uh, and then the sunset is after Jake turns down the money after they kill Roger. And I think it's just kind of just like, it it's a, reminds me of Star Wars, obviously, with dual <laughs> sunsets. But just kind of like this one day and how much has happened and these two opposite of forces of Jake and Alonzo going at it. There's a, a few good time-lapse shots in this movie, too. My favorite shot is the, that I mentioned earlier, the the bird's-eye view of Jake and Drag across the house by Smiley's crew. So great. What's the best line? Honestly, it's so hard to pick one. Yeah, I think tough. there's probably like 30 that Alonzo <laughs> says that you could pick. But I think the one that encapsulates his character so well is it's not what you know, it's what you, you can, can prove. prove. So that's kind of like his motto, and that's determined and led to all the horrible behaviors that he has. As long as he can prove something that happened this way, it doesn't matter to him. That's kind of like his his principle now. It's a, it's an artificial morality. Mm-hmm. I picked to protect the sheep, you got to catch the wolf, and it takes a wolf to catch a wolf. So I think that um, informs uh, Alonzo's transformation into a wolf. You want to do some fun facts about Training Day? Absolutely. All Let's right, go. Jake Hoyt was a very sought-after uh, role by a ton of actors, and Tobey Maguire was literally par- almost fully casted, and he was doing, like, months of prep, and he was following officers around and gained some weight for the role, but then dropped out when Ethan Hawke, uh, Fuqua's first choice, was available for shooting, and Matt Damon was also almost considered for the role. Oh, man. I think it was originally yeah. cast as—it was going to be Matt Damon and Samuel Jackson were the original castings. Yeah, with a different director, yeah. To give his character a much more authentic look, Denzel Washington decided to have the exact same look as the LAPD officer, Rafael Perez, who inspired the role of Alonzo Harris in the entire movie. Other people considered for the role of Jake were Eminem, who turned it down, Ryan Filippi, Freddie Prince Jr., which would have been terrible, Scott oh, Speedman, and Paul Walker. They all tested for the rookie cop. Huh. I could see Paul Walker. I, could have seen it, I think yeah. he could have pulled it off, pretty, yeah. done a pretty good job. During the card gate during the card game sequence, when Jake is playing cards with the Latino gangsters, Antoine Fuqua gave uh, hit secret instructions to the actors playing Smiley's crew, which Ethan Hawke didn't know about, which explains why Ethan Hawke looks very confused during much of the scene because he didn't know what the other actors were doing. Which kind of is perfect for the role because that's Jake in the movie, basically. Yeah, yeah and it adds to the tension of the scene because the the characters are also, they're kind of communicating um, outside of Jake because he doesn't know that they're intending to kill him. 
Ethan Hawke realized how corrupt police officers could be in real life while conducting research for Jake Hoyt. He tagged along with the police officer who confiscated two kilos of, of cocaine, then sold part of that evidence for information on a murder. It shows Hawke how gray the line was for police. Tuco, actually, this is a great fact for Breaking Bad. So Tuco from Breaking Bad in Better Call Saul is actually um, the character sniper. sniper in Smiley's gang. And he almost got the role of, of Smiley, but ended up being Sniper. How did I not notice that? Oh, man, you're right. Too bad. Too bad. You friggin' idiot. Too <laughs> How dumb are you? Three of a kind beats two pair. <laughs> Cliff Curtis is great in that in that yeah, role. It's fantastic. He's actually um new, he's um Polynesian New Zealand, but he often plays uh, Middle Easterners, uh, Latinos in many of his movie roles. But he actually comes from his his culture and race is from New Zealand, but he can pull off all sorts of different ethnicities. He's a very underrated actor. Yeah, he's just got a ton of supporting roles in a lot of really good movies. All right, that wraps our episode on Training Day. We really hope you enjoyed this one as much as we did. Be sure to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast today. Thanks again. Hope you all have a great day. King Kong ain't got shit on me. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.